Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. A show that is so bad, even truck stop hot dogs have more taste. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine. And on this week's episode, we have a pipe parts that is uh, Pipe Smoking 101 Revisited. This time we're going to talk about the, the draft hole. Yep, that most important hole that gets the smoke to us. Uh, my guest is uh, someone who's familiar with the draft hole. It's Les Young, who is the most recent winner of the uh, Slow Smoke competition at the uh, Chicago Pipe Show. And we get to talk about Les's history in pipes and pipe tobacco and, and how, he won the, uh, how he won the competition. Uh, music, mailbag, and rant, all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, in fact, lots of, uh, lots of news and stuff to recap in the, uh, in the mailbag, so uh, stay tuned all the way to that. Uh, reminder, JDRF auction items, they go up on the Pipe Studs. The tobacco goes up on the Pipe Studs website on uh, Saturday, pipestud.com, and then all the non-tobacco items go up for auction on his eBay store starting on Saturday, including, because I forgot to mention them last week, uh, a pair of handmade wooden spoons by uh, journeyman pipe smoker Steve Davenport. So you get those. Uh, they're really cool. In fact, he made a pair for my wife, and she loves them. So, and he made them all out of hand, minimal amount of tools used at all. So really cool, and thanks to Steve for sending those in. Uh, and before we get into the show, I just want to read this uh, this email that I got. And it says, hey, Brian, I just wanted to reach out and inquire into whether or not you offer birthday shout-outs on the show. Uh, and the, the day he's writing this is the person's birthday and thought it would be great if uh, she could get a happy birthday shout-out on the show that puts her to sleep like no other. Anytime we're on the road, she needs help sleeping. Your show finds a way to bore her like no other. So on her behalf, thank you for the wonderful sleep she wouldn't be getting otherwise. We love your show, your guests, your listeners, and you're not too bad yourself. With much love and sincere apologies from one of your favorite Canadians. And he signed it, Ben. And the reason I'm reading this right now is I don't do birthday shout-outs. Uh, and the reason I don't do them is because there's thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners. And we do 52 shows a week, so you divide that and you do some math, and there's no math in this show. Um, so... Uh, I, no, we just, in general, don't do birthday shout-outs. Um, but in this case, for Kayla, happy birthday. And I wanted to put it at the beginning of the show so I didn't put you to sleep. And Ben would have to elbow you in the mailbag segment. So there you go. All right. Everybody get your pipes, fire up a bowl, sit back, relax, and here we go. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. For over 150 years, Peterson has welcomed all pipe smokers. It's the preferred choice of the thinking man and the everyman alike, and our workshop too is a place of hospitality and warmth. 
Hi, I'm Glenn Whelan, and for me, Peterson is a family tradition I've known since my childhood. My dad, Tony Whelan Jr., worked at Peterson for 53 years and has been my home since 2003. From sweeping our factory on a Saturday morning, to managing our store, to now steering our international distribution, I've seen the craftsmanship poured into each Peterson pipe. It lives in Jason's discerning eye as he handcrafts our silver accents and in Wojciech's able hands as he carves our rustications. It abides in Willie's grading and in Warren's papering. Peterson has welcomed us as contributors to its legacy. And it's a welcome we always extend to you. Cade Mila Folge, 100,000 welcomes, wherever you come from, whosoever you be. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, now that Kayla is uh, fast asleep and dreaming about hockey, maple syrup, and Tim Hortons, um, we can continue on into pipe parts. Uh, pipe, pipe Smoking 101 Revisited. And now we're talking about the draft hole. We're talking about the hole that is uh, in two parts of the pipe. It's in the stem and it's in the shank. It's the hole that connects the tobacco chamber from, you know, it connects the tobacco chamber all the way up into the stem. All right. So this hole is highly important because without this hole, we don't get to smoke anything. We get to smell roasted embers off the tip of the bowl. Um, so in the bowl inside the shank, the tobacco, the draft hole has one goal, and that's to get from as low in the bowl as possible straight towards the stem all right so it the positioning of the draft hole can actually ruin a pipe and i've seen numerous pipe makers who said yeah i misdrilled it it was like a quarter inch to the left or a little high and i didn't like it and you couldn't fix it so that was the end of that uh, so that you know it, it can be a it can be a dangerous part too this is one of the points where sometimes or most times a artisan pipe maker will use a machine to drill the draft hole through the shank. Um, it's going to be fairly standardized in diameter. I think anywhere between uh, you know, some of the smaller ones are like 2.8 millimeters. And then there's people that like larger, larger air holes. So four millimeters, 4.2 uh, the bigger the the bigger the air hole, the easier it is to smoke. But also, the bigger the air hole, the faster you're going to smoke that bowl if you're not careful. Uh, and then you also got to worry about little bits and pieces coming up to you. Now, when that draft hole gets into the stem, it's going to do a couple of different things. Uh, in most cases, most pipe companies bring the size of the draft hole down from what it was inside the pipe. Uh, and the reason they do that is because at the end of the stem, you've got less material. So you want to bring it down and they're using one straight drill to go all the way through. Uh, back in the old days, they would just drill a hole and it would come out the tip of the stem and it would be just a round hole at the end. Uh, now in modern times, we will see things like a, uh, you know, like a fluted stem of some sort or a fluted draft hole. And, what happens is inside the stem so that that draft hole inside the stem lines up as close to perfectly with the draft hole through the shank it drops down in size maybe a half a millimeter but 
once it gets to the stem portion, the last half inch or so, a lot of pipe makers and a lot of pipe companies will slot the end of it and start to, with hand tools, open up and widen out. So the, st- the, the draft hole goes from a round thing inside the stem to a flat funnel looking thing. And that is to allow the smoke to disperse throughout your mouth, not create one single hot spot on your, on your tongue or inside your mouth. And it helps it cool a little bit because it gives it a little bit more surface space. But in reality, what they're doing is they're also narrowing it down so that we can have a narrower stem, which is more comfortable in our mouth and keep the same amount of surface area because you don't want any real constrictions happening inside the stem. If the stem is uh, four, if, if the stem might be four millimeters thick, well, you got to have a millimeter on each side. So now you're down to two millimeters. Well, then if you start funneling it or, uh, you know, funneling it open and building that slot, you have the same amount of surface area. If they didn't do that, well, then it would create a spot inside the stem that might cause, uh, might might cause a little turbulence in there and would build up moisture and would get really nasty and bitey. Uh, same thing on the uh, on the connection between the draft hole in the stem and the draft hole in the shank. Uh, and that's one, one of the reasons why I tell you on a regular basis to open up your pipes, uh, you know, pull the stems out and clean out that mortise and tenon hole uh, because you've got a little bit of turbulence in there, a little bit of convection going on as the draft hole in the shank comes into the draft hole in the stem you just want that as clean as possible um also the other thing that i do believe in is keeping your draft holes as clean as possible and every once in a while using a bristle cleaner uh you know with some alcohol on it or Everclear, like i use because you, you really don't want any buildup in there. You want that as smooth as possible. You want it aerodynamically smooth so that it flows straight through. You don't want any buildups in there. If you start getting buildup in there, well, then you're going to start running into, you know, again, uh, you know, turbulence and it'll just become a mess. So keeping that part clean is to me more important than keeping the tobacco chamber clean because you've got all that turbulence that can build up. Uh, and you really don't want to, <laughs> you really don't want that. Trust me as somebody who's had a, uh, you know, had the occasional bowl spittle down the stem on your tongue, that'll take you a little bit of time to get that cleared off. So, so that's the draft hole, the size you prefer, uh, you know, can be completely different. If you're dealing with a filtered pipe that can be, that can make it completely different. Uh, if you're dealing with bamboo or maybe a curved draft hole, cause there are some curved stems that can be completely different, uh, on a bent pipe, you'll see little tricks that some pipe makers or pipe companies do to try to get those to line up dead on straight. But, uh, sometimes that makes it a little difficult. So you want to be careful there. All right. Draft hole pipe smoking one oh one revisited. Uh, comments or questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in just a moment, my conversation with Les Young. This is Internet Radio. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe. 
just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes in faithful service of the hobby. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is somebody who I've seen at many pipe shows and all around the pipe show circuit, active in the forums and Facebook groups, and the recent uh, reigning U.S. pipe smoking championship uh, winner, champion. In fact, I guess Les, we figured out uh, that you're the Western Hemisphere champion. So, uh, Les Young, <laughs> welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Well, glad to be here. All right, so let's get to know you. Where did uh, where did you grow up? What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, have you grown up? Well, I grew up. Uh, I was actually born in Portland, Oregon. Um, but that was during the war years, and I'm one of the few, um, uh, what do they call them, flat-footed or web-footed folks to leave Oregon. People usually go there and don't get out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, most of my um, years have been spent in the Philadelphia area in several different rounds. My dad was actually born and raised um, actually in Chinatown uh, um, a century ago. So for a while there, you know, uncles and so forth were here. And I went to a boarding school and then I came back uh, working for DuPont for almost 40 years, most of it in this area. Wow. You spent, you spent 40 years with DuPont. Yeah, I know by uh, current millennial standards, that's uh, 10 lifetimes or more. Yeah, yeah, and we're not talking about ST DuPont. We're talking about DuPont, the one that, you know, chemicals make life better, right? Right, mate. Uh, you know, better living through chemistry as opposed to through pipes and tobacco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so when did you start smoking a pipe? Um, at college um, in uh, Boston, MIT. My fraternity house had some pipe smokers and... Uh, and I always liked tobacco. I like the smell of tobacco. I like uh, everything about tobacco except inhaling it. And um, that was in 61 in the fall, right after I uh, joined the fraternity. So you are the you are the picture of the Ivy League college student uh, with a, uh, let me guess, you had a sports coat with patches on the elbows? <laughs> No, that was for the uh, cool kids up at Harvard. Oh. And, and MIT and Caltech, et cetera, are strictly speaking, not Ivy. Well, uh, I, Ivy would be like uh, Harvard, Penn, you know, the seven that are uh, very well known. Yeah, but so you go out, you go off to MIT and then you and then you get you pick up a pipe there. I mean, that's, all right. Do you remember where you bought your first pipe from? Peretti's. <laughs> so, so you, you've been a customer for of Peretti's now for 
well, that's a lot of math. I, and I, and I promised you there wouldn't be math, but. <laughs> well, yes and no. The, the funny thing was uh, when I came uh, out of school to work, um, you know, you couldn't smoke in the lab. You know, at school, our professors and I and other students puffed away happily in the classrooms. It was no problem then. But working around chemicals with DuPont, a lot of which were flammable, um, you, you know, they, there were places you couldn't even bring a matchbox into for fear of it ignite accidentally. <laughs> so uh, when I started traveling, um, I went to cigars. Uh, and, you know, I'd go... Uh, I traveled a lot, and I'd seek out the cigar stores and uh, try to find my favorite um, Royal Jamaicas until they went out of business. <laughs> and uh, it was cheaper than getting drunk, I guess. Yeah. So did, while you were doing the cigars, were you, did you kind of put the pipe down and you know not not do pipe yep. smoking at all? Yeah, you know, for a better part of forty three years, with maybe one or two pipes a year. I did everything wrong initially. Um, I like my um, cigars and my turkey cigarettes and players plump, and I'd humidify them uh, to where they were plump. <laughs> and I, there was no internet, no pipe clubs, uh, uh, and my fellow uh, pipe smokers at the fraternity were not that knowledgeable. And when I humidified my pipes, I didn't have a tamper. I didn't have um, um, pipe lighters. Uh, the way to get the thing going was get a big cherry with the first few lights and puff like crazy and burn your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did a lot of things wrong. So, so that kind of turned you off the pipe up for a while, right? No, I loved it. <laughs> I love the taste. I love the aroma. Um, you know, my burnt tongue was just paying my dues. Uh, it was just way too much tra uh, uh, trouble when I traveled right. you know, on airplanes to carry all that stuff around. And so it was just easier to bring cigars and go find cigars wherever I went. Even then, pipe stores and pipe tobaccos were getting, I won't say scarce, but scarcer. You know, one time you could go to the uh, Cornell bookstore uh, or a newsstand and find a tin of Balkan Sobrani. <laughs> <laughs> We're a long way past that now. Now, were you able to smoke a cigar on an airplane? Uh, no, but I could carry them easily in my, uh, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd carry on stuff, uh, minimize suitcases, and I just had less stuff in my pockets. I had uh, maybe a cutter uh, and um, matches and cigars in a case. Wow. Uh, so what is your, what's your degree from MIT in? Uh, Chemie. So you are a, you are a chemical engineer from MIT. So obviously, I'm talking to some street dumb, you know, some some dummy off the street here. No, no, actually, I was trained and got a degree as an engineer. I never got to be one. Dupont would keep giving me different jobs that uh, <laughs> might involve having engineers, uh, you know, that oversee. Never got to do the engineering myself. <laughs> All right. So when do you remember when the first pipe show was that you went to? Um, I didn't even know of such a thing. That 43 years of uh, gap, uh, um, I didn't pay any attention to what was going on. I had no idea what was going on, except for cigars. 
And when I came back to it um, in 08, 09, uh, I was trolling the Internet trying to find the last boxes of rural Jamaicas in the world and um, stumbled across uh, a pipe subform and started looking at that thinking, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and uh, Bob Ronowski, Morley's son, yeah. uh, who worked uh, with C&D with uh, Tarlers uh-huh. on stuff like uh, Haunted Bookshop, uh, enormous um, uh, uh, and very knowledgeable expert uh, in Burley, especially. And he was a member of the Christopher Morley Pipe Club in Philly. And he found me and said, come on down. And uh, and that changed everything. So you kind of had to reintroduce yourself to the pipe and what was on the pipe market and relearn it all over again. Uh, yeah. Well, the funny thing is, uh, at Preddy's, I didn't pay any attention to the jars. You know, after um, the first half um, uh, pouch of uh, Cherry Blend 79, half and half, sale, you know, whatever was at the bookstore, and I'd, I'd start it, work through it, and then lose interest and find something else. And then one day, uh, just about six or eight weeks in, um, one of the uh, brothers at the fraternity said, try Dunhill, which, of course, I'd heard about. And you know, I'd been at their store, yeah. uh, random New York and London and in San Francisco. And, um, you know, I knew about them being a high line kind of fancy store. Um and I knew they had something to do with pipes, not that they had anything to do with me. But I discovered Dunhill 965, and all those pouches got put aside. And I settled on the top three, um, 965, uh, aperitif, and um, as it turns out, nightcap was by far and away my uh, favorite <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so- so then you, then you, all right. So now you, now you're on the right path and away from all the, uh, all the heavy cased aromatics and drugstore stuff. Yeah. I mean, I had lousy technique and all that, but, yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, I never even smelled or looked into Peretti's jars. I went right for the tins. And when, uh, Spalk and Sobrani, uh, 79 came out, that was actually my number four. I had a very tight rotation in those days. Wow. Did you have a, in those days, you would just buy the, you just buy the tobacco that you needed to get you through the next week or two, right? You wouldn't buy a whole bunch and age it or do anything crazy. Right. The whole idea of aging having an effect uh, was news to me uh, 45 or whatever years later. Um, Made sense because I knew it was organic and I was an expert on wine. And of course, we all know good wine, especially the ages. Um, The whole idea of cellaring. Um, you know, I did that for wine, never thought of doing that for tobacco. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk more about, uh, we'll, we'll get into pipe smoking championships and more of that with less. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Since its beginnings in 1876, Savinelli has become more than just a pipe factory. It's become a lifestyle. From sourcing the finest Mediterranean briar and partnering with local artisans to acquire unique accents, to expanding their catalog each year with new innovative series, 
Savinelli produces high-quality Italian pipes that serve as a reflection of your individual tastes. With a portfolio that ranges from rugged designs fit for the outdoors to elegant pieces destined for black tie galas, Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Les Young. And uh, Les, you won the uh, pipe smoking, comp the slow smoke competition at the most recent Chicago pipe show. You are the uh, North American champion, and I don't know if there's one in South America. So we're just going to call you the champion of the Western Hemisphere, okay? Uh, I have to talk to UPCA and see if they sanction <laughs> what uh, you just did. Yeah. Uh, so how many years have you been doing pipe smoking, uh, the slow smokes? I'm almost from the beginning of my rebirth, so since um, 08. Wow. And is this the first time you've won? Because I think I've seen your name pop up there before. Um, I usually win, um, um, you know, in, in something like Chicago, if you're in a five, top five or ten, hmm. you often have a pipe on the table left uh, choose and i often win a pipe that way my only other outright win-win was um at the former k woody former christmas now rebranded holiday party um that's around well christmas yeah. <laughs> you know in december and i won one of those and that had about 50 smokers so how many did you start out with at this year's chicago show uh, 47. So 47 of you, three grams of tobacco and a brand new pipe, right? Three grams, the same pipe. All right. What's your technique? Do you, uh, what, what's your, what's your technique? How do you, how do you load the bowl? How do you prep the tobacco? Well, my, my uh, strategy is complete, utter Zen-like meditation concentration. You know, no joking and no screwing around. Um, uh, even a, a couple of second laps is enough to <laughs> lose it. Um, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to uh, the packing. You know, uh, if, if there are big chunks in there, I'll shred them. I do try to dry them up because I've always preferred my tobacco dry to the point of being crispy. Um, you know, so... I do that. I think when I load, um, you know, I, I, I look at the different pieces and chunks and I try to load the very bottom, just gravity. You know, I don't want it tight down there. Right. And then um, try to get all the three grams into the pipe. And sometimes it's a chore and sometimes it's easy. So then you get the, you get two matches. And do you have mm -hmm. any special technique for lighting it? Do you try to just light one area or do you try to get an even light? Well, that one area thing is the infamous chasing the ember yeah. uh, approach, which is um, very, the Europeans and the Japanese, that's how they get the uh, two hour <laughs> routine times. You know, Americans, uh, if, if we get past an hour, that's pretty damn good. Um, but, uh, remember, uh, buddy, um, buddy from, um, Baltimore had a magnificent handlebar mustache Yeah, and doc who was, uh, uh, UPCA president 
for a while. Uh, they were both infamous um, for if they made it past 10 minutes, they'd go an hour. Um, and I'm pretty sure they both used the European method. Um, the risk is if you're trying to conserve your tobacco to the max, the risk is you risk going out early <laughs> because there's not enough ember to, to keep you going. I don't do that, but I'm very cautious of it. And when I uh, camp and adjust things, um, I keep thinking about what would the Europeans do? But I don't go and do it explicitly. So how, how, do, you, how do you tamp differently for a competition versus your normal smoking? Um, more carefully, but I don't. In a way, um, um, the, the main thing different than normal smoking is um, utter concentration. When I normally smoke uh, at home or whatever, I don't worry about relights. If it goes out, I relight. And when you're, I've seen some guys because you because you all get the same size tamper, which is just a it's basically a wood dowel that you know that'll fit in there. I've seen people kind of twisting the twisting the tampers. They've got it in there. Is that to move stuff around? Well, um, yeah, there are a couple of uh, expert tricks. Uh, one is to uh, take the 17 millimeter regulation uh, um, dowel or tamper and grind it on the bottom of the bowl and try to square off um, the corners and the edges a little bit. So you can get the tamper down another quarter of a millimeter. <laughs> wow. You know, for the end game. Um, you know, I sometimes do that. And sometimes I forget. Um, that doesn't play much into what I do, frankly. Um, the other thing people do is they'll mark um, when the tamper is at, at bottom on the chamber, they'll take a pen and mark a line so that they can visually see as they tamp looking at the line how how far down the uh the stuff is um when you tamp by regulation you have to have the pipe in your mouth you can't take your pipe out and tamp and look into it you have to have it in your mouth oh and it, you have to have it in your mouth so that you can't look down it right exactly because otherwise you might be able to see the ember and chase it around and see this sounds like an awful lot of work um, yeah, in fact, uh, you know, watching people like Doc Gar and uh, Buddy for helpful hints, uh, you see them paying complete attention uh, to the to the pipe, to the bowl, um, to what the ember is doing, um, and you know, the the folks who tend to win consistently are, are not um, having a lot of fun joking and. And then, uh, you know, parlaying conversation. Do you practice this at home during the year when before before a pipe smoking uh, before a slow smoke? Nope, I, I know Ray does, uh, and to the point of seeking out what the uh, blend is and getting to know it. No, I just I just go into it, and and it's the one time in a year I have incredible concentration compared to anything else I do. Wow. And and this is normal. This is completely different than what your normal smoking technique when you're at home, right? You just smoke, tamp, well, light, go. 
I, I smoke slow anyway because I don't mind relighting. And um, the whole, I'm all about flavor, uh, not that slow smoking <laughs> contests are, are what you want to do for flavor. <laughs> but when I smoke myself, I, I'm in it for the flavor. And what you want to do is not burn the tobacco. You want to pyrolyze it. Um, you know, it's almost like the process of making charcoal. You want everything to just smolder, barely, you know, not in a lot of temperature, not a lot of heat. And that way I get the flavor out. And it often goes out. And I relight, you know, tamper and relight. So is that the chemical engineer in you coming out? Uh, yeah, I've been having a running conversation with uh, Neil Archer Rowan, who's been studying the uh, combustion zones and chambers. Um, and my contribution is, hey, we're not burning the tobacco for max uh, flavor. Uh, you want to just barely smolder, you know, pyrolyze it. Uh, so you you were talking about taste of tobacco. What happens if you get a uh, you know, each competition the tobacco blend made for that competition is different? How do you handle if you get a blend that you just really hate or isn't your style? Or yeah. it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, when you're in a slow smoke, you're not in it for the um, flavor um, because. You know, first of all, you're breaking in a pipe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, you, you know, it's, it's as if you were a uh, hiker and loved to stroll in the woods. That's a whole lot different than a marathon. But they're both more or less the same motion. Yeah, so I guess you just kind of turn off your taste buds and try not to try not to work the tobacco too hard anyway. Uh, That's right. It, they're it, definitely not looking for flavor there. Yeah. And you get a brand new pipe, so I, I'm I'm assuming you've had some pipes that you've liked more than others over the years of doing slow smokes. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I like most pipes. I've had very few pipes I consider bad. I just figure it hasn't been broken in yet. Have you had any that were from the slow smokes where you, it's turned into a really good pipe for you? Yeah, I had a couple of K Woodies um, um, turn out very, very well. And of course, uh, Bill Feuerbach, um, you know, had a lot of old buyer stock to work from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot of old stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's go back to your personal pipe smoking for a little bit here. Um, how many pipes do you own now? Do you know? Um, 750 or so. <laughs> yeah i i just want i just want i want to reiterate that 750 so that way that's how many you own so i can play this part back for my wife so that so <laughs> yeah that, 120 i've yet to break in you still have 120 <laughs> you you almost had me speechless there for a minute congratulations 120 <laughs> pipes still to break in yeah i have a very um complicated break-in schedule which uh, breaks into my normal smoking routine and uh, you know I, I don't like to do it do you uh, all right you want to talk us through your uh, your your break-in routine yeah i figure every pipe uh, whether it's an estate or brand new is different and um i start off uh trying to figure out okay is this pipe going to be dedicated to virginia's or also virginia Perique's? Or will it be all-purpose? 
and you know, uh, especially if it's a brand new pipe, I want to get to know it with very bland uh, Virginias in the uh, you know first six or eight smokes. You know, um, often blending Virginias that I'm just um, that I'm very familiar with, maybe Prince Albert, something like that. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I run a pipe through a sequence of six or seven different blends, trying to get a sense of, is this a little sweeter? Is it a little woodier? Is it a little whatever? And of course you're burning wood. <laughs> and then, um, you know, if, if I think, okay, this is going to be a Virginia smoker that gets put in its pile. Uh, if I think now nah, I'll demote it, um, you know, and, and I'll put my favorite, which is Latakia into it. Um, I've had some pipes, uh, do very well with one type versus the other. Wow. So you do have it. I mean, that is six, seven, eight, ten bowls before you figure out which way you want to go with it. And, yep. And how. Um, yeah. And I rested, you know, two, three days through a week between um, puffs. So it, it really throws off my rhythm. Yeah. No kidding. Um, how often do you, how often during the day do you smoke a pipe? Is it daily or weekly? Um, usually three times a day, uh, one in the morning, you know, an early morning pipe or, a, um, an Oriental or, a, or a light Virginia, like Dunhill, uh, you know, Virginia flake. Um, and then one at midday and then one, uh, you know, heavier one in the evening. Yeah, so 700-plus pipes getting through your rotation can take you a few months. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, and you know, often I'll set, you know, I'll be trying to learn one, maybe four or five at a time, and I'll, you know, run them through for a month or so and then try something else. <laughs> wow. Uh, are you aging tobaccos now? Oh, yeah, I have. Yeah. I have. Not quite a ton of tobacco. Oh, Uncle Les, <laughs> my my new my new favorite uncle. Um, although it's probably got a lot of Latakia in it. <laughs> I have a long list of uh, people who want me in their will. Yeah, yeah. Want uh, them sells in my will. That is. Yeah. All right, so back to the back to the pipe smoking competition because I was there. I was sitting off to the side, and I saw when you I saw when you won. You were what a minute, an hour, and six minutes, or something around there. Yeah, forty seconds. Could you could you have gone longer and you just stopped because you were already the only one left? Yeah, um, I uh, at the K Woody one years ago. I didn't know what the etiquette was. But, um, I, you know, watching the Ukrainians and the Russians who usually come and win, um, I noticed that uh, the number one usually waits a minute or two after the number two goes out and then just sets on its pipe. <laughs> and so I asked, and yeah, you know, it's, you know, what's the point of having everybody watching one guy, you know, one, one last smoker for the duration? Um, besides the tent was getting cold. Yeah. You know, is cool and we turned off the heat and the air to facilitate the um, conditions for slow smoke and as far as I could see the, the spectators were getting cold so you know I gave it a minute I, I could have gone maybe three or four more minutes um, but I gave it a minute after uh, uh, number two went out and laid laid down my pipe to be 
polite. And uh, what was what was your uh, prize for first pri- for coming in first? Well, you have your choice of what's on the table, and uh, I got a uh, uh, Bonifiglioli uh, uh, pipe, which was inscribed the Chicago. <laughs> And now you get to uh, you you get to go to the World Pipe Smoking Championship. Yeah, in Budapest, or oh, not Bucharest, Bucharest. Yeah, um, you can take me with you if you want to. Um, yeah, we we were trying to figure out how to assemble a team. By the way, <laughs> the USA team. We need several people for that. Yeah, and of course, the prize for the first person that goes out is all the leftover matches from the boxes of matches. So you definitely. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, that's my goal. Well, that's that, that could be hard to put in the airplane. Yeah. Uh, but you mentioned something cause I know they did turn off the, uh, they turned off the heaters in there cause you really don't want air blowing down into the bowl or across the bowl. Cause that may accelerate the tobacco burning, right? Um, well, it makes it uneven, um, you know, hard to control. Yeah. And, um, there have been cases where, uh, the bowls are burned through, <laughs> <laughs> which disqualifies you, but it also tends to ruin the pipe. Yeah, I actually did a pipe smoking, uh, a slow smoke with a club down in Florida, and we just gave them basket pipes, and we had a couple people burn out the pipes, and <laughs> one guy got it smoking so hot that the bowl just, the burnout started right by the, right where the shank came in, and the bowl just <laughs> fell right off the sh- right off the shank. <laughs> well, I know that the fast smoking contest that we've had for a couple of years, um, that that's a definite risk. <laughs> yeah. That, that's kind of the, um, um, that's the crazy people, uh, <laughs> pipe smoking competition, but, uh, Les Young, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer. No wrong answer. Just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. So what is your favorite pipe? Um, a Becker, Paolo Becker, probably uh, with some Federico in it. <laughs> and what is your favorite tobacco? Well, uh, it used to be Greg Peace's magnificent Bohemian Scandal, but it's not aging very well, as well as uh, Renaissance. So I guess it's Renaissance. Ooh. What is your favorite drink? Um scotch or coca-cola <laughs> do, you, do you like all them fancy scotches with numbers on them and uh and yeah although uh, lately i've been going to blends uh, some of the um hard to get uh single malts are very iconoclastic you know they have a lot of character but it's like um hey have you ever sat next to an airplane with somebody who was a little bit too interesting <laughs> yeah yeah, they won't shut up. Um, oh, I didn't say that out loud, did I? <laughs> uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Mm, fishing, music. Yeah, I guess you're you're a big fisherman, aren't you? On the internet, I'm less trout. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory besides winning the most recent? slow smoke competition well yeah um, my most memorable mind-blowing um uh bowl of, of uh tobacco 
was my very first nightcap coming from Harvard Square on the MTA bus. And I remember letting that up um, and uh, it made it so I didn't feel any need for drugs afterwards. <laughs> That's right, kids. You heard pipe smoking on a public bus, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, and nightcap during the day. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I keep chasing that high. But that was my, that is a, in a handful of um, fantastic, mind-blowing, stop-the-world uh, bowls that come together, and, and how do you reproduce it? You know, I, yeah. I've had it with full Virginia Flake once, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, being the flavor guy, uh, I keep looking for that flavor high. Les Young, congratulations on your uh, on your big win. Uh, go go get them and represent us well in the uh, World Smoking mm -hmm. Championship. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Feel very honored. Thank you. And we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal. We know pipe smoking is a personal journey. That's why our small team of blending and production experts take a personal approach in every step, preparing tobacco products just for you. We source top quality leaf through the personal connections we've made around the world, hand blend that leaf, and carefully package each tin. Each product, from special releases like our small batch line to our most popular mixtures like Autumn Evening, are made right here in South Carolina by professionals dedicated to providing the finest of smoking experiences. Lighting up a pipe is an exploration through evolving flavors, thoughts, memories, and even dreams. From our hands to yours, Cornell and Deal tobaccos are your passport for that voyage, provided by people who, like you, value the journey. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, you know, after we were done recording, I tried to get Les to give me a few more little secrets, and uh, he was pretty tight-lipped. And uh, some of those pipe-smoking competition guys, you know, they keep their secrets close to their vests, too. So, uh, You could tell me, because that wouldn't matter. I'm not getting involved in a slow-smoke competition. Just too much work. All right, for music, we go to... Uh, I got an email, and it says, Hey, Brian Jennings here. Uh... My real passion is jazz. Here's a tune, and it's Jimmy Jufree, G-I-U-F-F-R-E, the Jimmy Jufree 3, and it's called Two Kinds of Blues. Um, and he says, one of my favorite trios with Jim Hall on guitar. Hope you enjoyed it. A very laid-back listen, and their albums are all worth exploring. One of the most dynamic groups I've ever heard with a phenomenal swing and impeccable meter and groove. So you get to hear... Uh, that exact song right now. It's Two Kinds of Blues, the Jimmy Jufree 3. Thank you. 
I didn't spell it. It's G-I-U-F-F-R-E. Jimmy Jufree, probably. Um, anyway, that, that to me is a perfect kind of piece for this time of the year, for the evening. You sit down with your pipe and a drink and put that kind of put that kind of stuff on and you just go into that zen place or that relaxed place and off you go. I would never do it while driving because I would definitely get too relaxed you daddy has an email and remember if you have a comment or question you can email it directly to me brian b-r-i-a-n at pipesmagazine.com or post it on the pipes magazine radio show page just like dino does every week and going back to last week's show dino says sounded like a great collection of stuff for the jdrf auction good wishes for a successful fundraiser thank you uh, Rich was a delightful guest with lovely looking pipes for a part-time pipe maker. Uh, he seems to have a great vision and outlook for his craft. Uh, Bing does this iconic song with just the right amount of schmaltz. <laughs> I think schmaltz is what goes into beer, right, Dino? Uh, and then Dino says, I can't stand the neighbor's fireworks war zone extravaganzas. My poor dog suffers near coronary arrest from these pyrotechnic exhibitionists. 
I feel true sympathy for the two vets down the street who have signs on their lawns asking folks to limit fireworks due to PTSD. And really, how do these mine is bigger than yours competitors justify the hundreds of dollars spent to watch their investment go up in smoke? Thanks for an always entertaining show with a bang, Dino. <laughs> you know, I guess some of our wives may say, why do we spend all that money on tobacco and it just goes up in smoke? But anyway. Uh, and then Casey Ghost says, uh, sure sounds like the boys ponied up for the JDRF auctions. Wish you all the success in the world on them. Juvenile diabetes is a genuine pain in the butt for all concerned. Wish everyone the best who has this. Uh, Rich was really an enjoyable guest. It was uh, it was great to get a guest who didn't immediately clam up when confronted with the great Levine. <laughs> um, he really has a gift for the uh, palaver, as does everyone else from the island. Yeah. Uh, he said he was a part-time, but my, by my calculations, he's turning out over 100 pipes a year. Uh, Bing was marvelous with the song. It was nice to hear him, but would have preferred Kate Smith. Yeah, if only Kate Smith had smoked a pipe. Um, I love fireworks, particularly the ones done by the city, since they were kind enough to ban private ones. How do people justify it? It's just like drinking wine and then taking a whiz. Hell, how do we justify anything? All we are doing is procreating until we can anymore. I will tell you that I loathe bottle rockets and handheld ones. Though my son lost his eye because of a bottle rocket fight that him and the neighbor kid had. Kids do the darndest things. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, all right, also in the on the forums in uh, pipesmagazine.com don't remember the, uh, don't forget there's a sticky for pipe repair and maintenance people in the in the uh, forums there's a, a sticky post there where if you are a pipe repairer or cleaner or a refurbisher you can go on there and post the link to your business and whatever you want all for free and for those of us that need to get our pipes cleaned up you can go there for free uh, also, Kevin did an awful lot of work and got all the episodes of the Pipes Magazine radio show, got players put on all of the, uh, all the back episodes, all the way back to show number one. So you can go back and listen anytime you want. If you are new to the show, please make sure that you are listening uh, to the current ones while getting caught up with the old ones. That is the best way to do it. Uh, at the time that I'm recording this on uh, Tuesday, July 11th in the morning, it's exactly three months away from me leaving for Las Vegas for the Las Vegas International Pipe Show. Uh, remember prices, there's a pre-registration discount. So if you register with the show, uh, book your table or book your admission on or before September 10th, you save some money versus at the door. And uh, all the information's on the website at VegasPipeShow.com. Uh, I got this interesting email, and it's from Bill in Alabama. It says, hello, Brian. I've recently discovered some short little videos of pipe tobaccos and tobacco smoking on YouTube. The content creator is Pipe Appeal. You probably have already seen or heard of them, but in case you have not seen them, I wanted you to know. All the videos are short and great. Thanks for all the Pipes Magazine podcasts I listen each week. Thanks, Bill in Alabama. Uh, if you have any of your favorite YouTubers that you want to uh, point out, well, feel free to do that. That would be absolutely great. 
And uh, speaking of YouTubers, I got a chance uh, earlier this morning to uh, go on to the Pipe Cottage with Alan Harrelson and talk about the Las Vegas Pipe Show and pipe shows in general. So that should be on YouTube shortly, I would guess. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, reach out to those YouTubers. And uh, if you have a favorite one, let me know. All right. Uh, comments, suggestions, anything, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at pipesmagazine.com. And rant time is coming up next. A Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe is the perfect pal. Going fishing, take your corncob pipe and see you back at dark 30. Hunting, your corncob pipe squares it won't make a pop. Relaxing and reflecting, you add your corncob pipe at relax. Party time, your corncob pipe doesn't produce a cool smoke for no reason. Let's just say your Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe gets you. Visit www.corncobpipe.com to get yours today. Missouri Meerschaum Company, authentically original, authentically you. Excuse me, Mr. Collins, but the show is starting. They, they need you on stage. Just one minute there, Charlie. I'm placing a bid for this great item on 10bids.com. Ever heard of them? Oh, sure. The Pipe Collector's Auction site. Well, I just sold some nice things on there myself. Say, you don't see much of that anymore. Yes, you sure don't, Charlie. But 10bids.com sure has it. They have vintage and luxury tobaccos, pipes... Accessories? You name it. Tom, baby, we need you on stage. Okay, Ed. Uh, Charlie, take over for me, would you please? You got it, boss. Visit tinbids.com, the pipe collector's auction site, and sign up for free today. Hey, uh, Mr. Collins, you won! I should have done this rant a couple weeks ago. I should have done this rant a couple of years ago because this is one of those things that bothers me, especially this time of the year. Uh, the flag, the U.S. flag, and I'm as patriotic as everybody else, but the U.S. flag gets abused and gets abused inappropriately in numerous ways. Uh, one, for example, uh, there are rules and regulations for displaying a flag. For example, and this is directly off of the uh, veteransadministration.gov website, uh, it says, out of respect for the U.S. flag, never dip it for any person or thing, even those state flags, regimental colors, or other flags may be dipped as a mark of honor. Display it with the Union down. Don't display it with the Union down except as a signal of distress. That means turning it upside down so the stars are on the bottom. You never do that unless you are a part of the government and you are in distress. Uh, never let the flag touch anything beneath it. Ground, floor, water, merchandise. The flag touches nothing. Got it? All right. Uh, it also says uh, on here, 
Uh, never, never use it as wearing apparel, bedding, or drapery. It should not be used on a costume or athletic uniform. However, a flag patch may be attached to the uniform of patriotic organizations, military personnel, police officers, or firefighters. So, all you redneck women out there, I'm sorry, but your tube-top U.S. flag is against the code of the United States. Uh, all you guys wearing a flag bandana on your motorcycle? Nope, that's wrong too. Uh, all you guys that are leaving your flags out overnight and they're not illuminated and kept dry? Wrong too. So, are you really a patriot if you are treating the flag inappropriately? Are you? Really? Anyway. Alright, there we go. That's my rant. I feel better now. Remember, the flag is the symbol of the country and should be treated with respect. And if you want those, uh, if you want those guidelines, just Google search uh, U.S. flag guidelines. All right, <laughs> all right. Again, uh, keep an eye out for the JDRF stuff starting this Saturday with uh, Steve and the Pipe Stud. Much appreciate everything Steve does for us. Much appreciate all you folks that donated things to it. Uh, thank you to Les Young for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. The clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy was it authentic frontier gibberish. It expressed a courage little seen in this day and age. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah.